on the virtual Bible study tonight, we're looking at some common questions people ask about the Bible. We're going to actually we're going to go to a website that has compiled questions that people have submitted and we're going to look at their top 20. All right, we're going to do that. It's going to be an exciting discussion and we'll look forward to it. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December 20th. 20th, 20th yeah. Yep, 2018. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. The year's just about gone. About gone. We've got one more time this year. Uh, my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you, Jacob. Good to be with you. Kyle's here tonight. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here. Look forward to hearing from you tonight, Kyle. Look forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and in the chat room to comment with other listeners on the program tonight. Uh, we've got a listener in the chat room tonight from Iowa who has been sharing uh, our Facebook post with his or her friends. That's good. Friends, yeah. and they're well, we getting, appreciate it. Yeah, they're getting, spreading the word that way in Iowa, and uh, we would encourage you to do that as well. How do we find us on Facebook? Uh, we're just, uh, we are the virtual Bible study on right. Facebook. So you can friend us, yeah. and then we'll, you'll get our post, and yeah. you can pass those along to your friends. be yeah. a good way to get yeah. the word out there. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. So thanks to uh, listener 826 in the chat room tonight for doing that. And uh, you can also help spread the word with bumper stickers. They come with a free Bible reading calendar if yeah, you act soon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really time to be getting a Bible reading calendar. Uh, make your request so we can get it in the mail it to It is you. a limited time offer, though. You're not going to get the free calendar with the bumper stickers if you don't hurry up. Well, we, we will extend that offer. Uh, well, it won't be any good after a, a couple of But you really need to have yeah. the, the – uh, you really need to have the um, – Daily Bible reading calendar so that you can get started right at the start of the year. All right. So and, and so we'll have that up on our website <coughs> very shortly so that you can look at it online if you happen to be away from your printed copy. But I think I really like having a printed copy that I can mark off when I've read the day's assignments and so forth. So we're anxious to send one to you, but you need to send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say, send me a, a, a but uh, but when you do that, you've got to tell us what your uh, mailing address is, too. Okay. Send an email, questions at collegeview.com. We want to get you uh, one of those Bible reading calendars and also a bumper sticker if you could use it to help us get the word out there tonight. Exactly right. All right. Uh, well, you know, we, we'd like to have topics that are of interest to our listeners, obviously. And so this uh, idea seemed to make sense that if people are asking questions about the Bible and it's, uh, it's on people's minds, then it would be make sense for us to answer these questions on the program. That's exactly right. So there's a website, and I imagine some of our listeners have heard of this website, and it's simply called gotquestions.org. Uh, and so um, I think it's a pretty well-known website. A lot of people go there. And they, they get a lot of Bible questions, and they have actually compiled their top 20 list. So this is not just 20 random questions. These are... In rank of order, the 20 most commonly asked questions that they receive at this website, gotquestions.org. Okay. And so uh, uh, we're just going to take those on. Uh, We couldn't do 20 in one program, so what we're going to plan to do is break it up and spend this week and next week looking at these 20 questions. Even at that, Jacob, our answers will be somewhat cursory. Because uh, some of these questions you could get into much more depth, and we have on some of these questions in previous programs, but we, we're going to try to cover them all. Yes, we are. And uh, maybe if you hear something on the program tonight that you disagree with, or you'd like further information, or maybe more discussion with us, it'd be an excellent opportunity for you to just send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, 
we would benefit from the discussion with you, and uh, we hope that you would as well. So if you got any questions or comments or want more discussion about something you've heard on the program tonight, questions at collegeview.com. And so let's uh, jump in to the first question. All right, so the first question is um, women... Pastors, preachers, question mark. What does the Bible say about women in the ministry? Mm. So uh, there's there's a whole lot in that question that indicates that we probably should spend a little time, but we don't have a lot of time to spend. But first of all, pastors and preachers, and the question seems to parallel those two positions as being the same, and they're not. Biblically, pastors and preachers are two different roles. The, uh, the A pastor is an overseer. He's a shepherd. He's he's a he's he's uh, other terms used in the New Testament would be elders or bishops. Uh, there's always a plurality of elders in every local church, as we read about in the New Testament. And so, elders, bishops, pastors, shepherds, overseers those are those are all descriptives of the same office, mm-hmm. and they're used synonymously in the New Testament. Uh, but a preacher is not necessarily a pastor. A pastor could be a preacher, but a preacher is not necessarily a, a pastor. They're different roles. In First Peter chapter 5, beginning verse 1, Peter said that he was an elder. He obviously also was a preacher. So a preacher could be an elder or a pastor, but they are not synonymous terms. So we should just comment about that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the thrust of the question is, what about women in the role of, of, of a preacher? Yes. All right. Well, there's a couple key passages that we need to look at along those lines, and Kent su- supplies the first one. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Kent is in Calhoun, Georgia tonight. Kent says First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 indicates that it is a sin for a woman to exercise a leadership role over men in the local church. First Timothy 2, beginning verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor us- to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed in Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Uh, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So that passage says that a woman cannot teach or usurp authority over a man. And and if if a woman was a preacher, she'd definitely be teaching over the men. Okay. And so that that verse, uh, standalone verse, would be enough to say women are not authorized in the New Testament to be preachers. Um, there's a God has a, a, a an order or a rank of of uh, uh, authority, uh, and God, Christ, man, woman, and there are reasons expressed even in the text that you just read. There are reasons expressed. Man was created first. Woman was the first in the transgression. That sort of thing all all plays into an explanation of why there is this rank of order. But the passage you read says, basically, women can be fully and totally acceptable to God and, and, and gain heaven and eternity by fulfilling the role that he's given them. Being a preacher is not a role he's given them. Of course, the other passage that's going to come into discussion here is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay. So uh, I would argue that if you really want to put that in a, in a thumbnail sketch, 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-four. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 seems to answer the question. Now, we need to qualify that teaching, though, and that is and that is the teaching over a man or teaching in a position of authority over a man. Women are to be teaching and to be teaching men. The Colossians women. chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So when women sing, they're doing a form they are of teaching. teaching. In, in uh, Acts chapter 18, Aquila and Priscilla Aquila and Priscilla, it says, took Apollos aside and taught him the way of God more perfectly. Uh, so there was a woman who had a hand in teaching a man, but obviously it has to be done in this submissive role that God has assigned to women. All right. Absolutely. Now, I want to get to the second question. What does the Bible say about women in the ministry? And it says a lot about women in the ministry. And can I say this? 
So this is just the, it's not the second question. It's the, it's second the follow-up part, that part. Yeah. Can I say this? Women should be in the ministry, and they should be very active in the ministry. This idea that women and men have to share the same role, or else one is inferior to the other, is simply really? nonsense, yeah. and it's not supported in the scriptures. In First Corinthians chapter twelve, they were arguing and fighting over who was going to be the most important person in the church, who's going to have the best role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul says the body's many members. You got eyes and ears and hands and feet. And they all work together for the strengthening and the, and the support of the body. And so women have a very vital role to play. And to think that if they're not standing up in the pulpit and preaching, then they're, they're of no use. Somehow they're, they're inferior because they can't preach. They're not inferior they in any way. A, they just have a different role. Right. Okay. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 5, just to, we're going to have to hurry on, but just to emphasize that, in First Timothy chapter 5, Paul spoke of some widows who might become the benevolent responsibility of the church but notice he he's they're qualified in this way first timothy 5 verse 9 let not a woman be taken into the number under three score years old having been the wife of one man well reported of for good works if she had brought up children if she has lodged strangers if she have washed the saints feet if she have relieved the afflicted if she have diligently followed every good work that's ministering. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. All right. All right. So uh, question one, uh, hopefully that is helpful. Uh, uh, on to question number two. All right. So question two, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Is it a sin? Um, it's, yes, it is a sin. Uh, again, we're, uh, I, we should probably point out we're going to tr- really be pr- stressing overall our answers from the New Testament. I think most of our listeners understand we believe that the New Testament is our authority for for faith uh, and action yes. uh, in, in the, the world today. The Old Testament, inspired of God, valuable for our understanding, but is not our authority for religious action today. Yes. Uh, and so uh, what about homosexuality? It's condemned in the Old Testament very straightforwardly. But what so about our, it? But but a lot of other things are condemned that we practice today. So yeah. you're on shaky ground it, yeah. it, to make an argument from the Old Testament, other uh, than just simply show that it was always uh, God always opposed that sin. It was always an abomination to Him. Okay. But if we're going to look in the New Testament to plainly worded statements about homosexuality, a, a, a powerful one is Romans chapter one, beginning verse 26. In this whole context, we don't have time to read it all, but in the whole context, Paul. Uh, was describing the pagan, the the, the uh, very wicked pagan Gentile world, and he says God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural to, natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. Uh, very clearly, Paul's describing their homosexual conduct and it names it as a practice of the sinful pagan Gentile world of that time. First Corinthians chapter six also mentions homosexuality in no uncertain terms. In First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine from the New King James Version, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So, I mean, uh, the King James there says effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind, but newer versions will actually use the terminology homosexual offenders of some sort or another. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, it's typically explained that the both those who are passive and active in the in the act of homosexuality are condemned in that passage. Now, so that's your, I think that's those two passages again. If I was looking to put a, a stamp on two really important texts, the two I think that are plainly uh, most easily understood: Romans one twenty six and twenty seven, First Corinthians six verses nine through eleven. Just looking at what the scriptures say, the questions asked: What do the scriptures teach? And we're answering those questions tonight from the scriptures. You know, this is, and it's really important. If if we're just voicing opinion, then you're welcome to to dismiss our opinion because our opinion is not any better than anybody else's. But if it, if it is what the Bible says, then that's a whole other 
uh, game, and you're going to have to pay attention to that. And uh, we'll also note those who are mentioned along with the homosexual in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, fornicators and adulterers. And we say the same thing to the fornicator and the adulterer that we would say to the homosexual, uh, you must repent. Why? Well, we want you to be sanctified. We want you to be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We want you to be right with God, and God has expressed his will in these areas, and so we're encouraging folks to submit to God's will. Okay. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that you that we can repent and we can change from uh, these simple practices. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 11. 1 yeah. Corinthians 6, 9, 6, 11, yes. Uh, uh, real quickly before we go to a break, I uh, got to pick up comments by Anthony Johnson in the in the uh, YouTube chat room window. We got two chat rooms going. Uh, one of them is with our YouTube uh, page, and the other is our regular chat mm-hmm. window uh, embedded on our on our website. Uh, Anthony is in the YouTube chat, and he says uh, individuals who say they are pastors, men or women, usually say that God called them to that position. My question would be, why would God do that against his own standard, against his authority? Why would he call a woman when he says in the scripture that women are not to have that role? All right. Men usually do not meet the qualifications for pastors, the first one being desiring the position. They uh, they fail because of the, uh, the claim of being called by God. Mm. Uh, I meet many whom say that they just offered the position to the women and the women took it. Second uh, Timothy 2.12 uh, completely contrary to the Word of God. Thanks, Anthony, for those comments tonight. Appreciate you listening in for chiming in. We want you to chime in as well. Uh, the best way for your voice to be heard is on the line. It's toll-free, and it's open, 877-381-4567. We're taking a break. Oh, when we get back, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Sign in the chat room there and let us know your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 128. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Real integrity is doing the right thing knowing that nobody's going to know whether you did it or not. Hide not your talents. They for use were made. What's a sundial in the shade? Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, uh, talking about most commonly asked questions about the Bible. If you come in in late, we'll remind you about those free Bible reading calendars. Uh, send us an email to questions at collegeu.com. We've got one going out to Kennesaw, Georgia. I appreciate that request. If you'd like one and a bumper sticker going to go along with it, questions at collegeview.com's email address to use. That's the way you can contact us tonight on the program as we look at these commonly asked questions. Uh, in, in the YouTube chat, Anthony says about homosexuality, why would God tell Noah to bring a male and a female of each one on the ark? It's always been that way. If everyone was homosexual or lesbian, you can forget about natural way of birth. It would be the ultimate population control uh, a couple of observations there from Anthony. Thanks for your comments tonight, Anthony. Okay, now on to number three. Number three, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Well, it does talk about tattoos, uh, and uh, we find that in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. All right, so 
But we got to go back to what we were saying earlier. That's an Old Testament instruction. Actually, probably an Old Testament instruction because that was a common practice of the pagan idolaters. Uh, they would cut themselves. They would make piercings on their body. They would they would make tattoos on their bodies. And God wanted his people to be distinct and different from that. That instruction is not repeated in the New Testament. Uh, and so, uh, you know... Uh, I, th- I think this is sort of a two-edged sword because I hear some folks get pretty wound up about body piercings and tattoos, but somehow or another, pierced ears are okay. Uh, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And and the only reason why that'd be okay, and and another kind of body piercing would be wrong, is because of our cultural yeah. Yeah. Uh, conditioning. Uh, the New Testament doesn't speak to body piercings or tattoos. And so, uh, yeah, I think we have to really be careful about what I think we could make points uh, about uh, there is a connotation of some manners of piercings and tattoos uh, that that would indicate a a rebellious person, uh, a defiant or worldly person. And, And a Christian would never want to give off those kinds of impressions. But that's a judgment call. Uh, but as far as a New Testament passage that speaks directly to that, there, in my opinion, there is nothing no, but other than influence. To, to the extent that it would be associated with any type of idolatry today, that would be condemned. Uh, if you're if you're getting a tattoo that would be connected with some type of idol worship, that uh, obviously would be condemned. Uh, idolatry is condemned in the New Testament. Um, it would potentially um, indicate allegiance to certain things that may be sinful. Yeah. Uh, Revelation chapter 14 talks about the mark of the beast in the forehead and on the hand. That's sort of an idea of of allegiance to certain things, right? Yeah, but I I think that's figurative. No, no, right. I'm just saying, but that's the idea. The idea, if I put a mark on myself, I'm somehow lining up with that or I'm showing some type of allegiance. Do I want to put a mark on myself that may... Show allegiance I, I to get something your point. Simple. In other words, the mark of the beast was a mark in the hand or forehead, well, and which indicated that you were on the, on a, his side. On his side, and God had a mark. You had a mark for God. Which side are you on? So, so do I want to? In a figurative sense, these these marks indicated allegiance or which which side you were on. Which, and, 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 and you if, can do the same today with a tattoo, possibly. But it's uh, not 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 that you're it's not it's the mark of the beast. But you could say, what if you had a tattoo that said. Uh, you know, I, I love Satan. Or, you know, uh, I'll kill them all or whatever. Yeah. You, you, what, what is it showing? Yeah. Kyle? I, Kyle. I think, which I think a lot of it comes down to contextual. It's, uh, what does, what is, if it's a tattoo, what does it say? Where is it located? Yeah. What and, does it mean? What are you trying uh, to especially prove? Especially a piercing. Will it violate, will it, would it come into the violation of nakedness? Will someone see nakedness if I, if there's a piercing or something like that? I think it's or, or, or a tattoo. Yeah, yes. Some of the tattoos. I think it's are, the bounds of what has already been laid down in God's law. Will somebody and so, be seeing my nakedness or would I be violating contextual? Would I be putting a message out there? So I think it's. I, I think you're right. As far as a specific statement in the New Testament, there's not any. Yep. And so, and so all of this, all of this that you guys are saying, and I agree completely, it's a question of, what what impression or influence would you be giving? Uh, would uh, some of these tattoos that that people get? You'd have to expose your nakedness to the tattoo artist to even get the tattoo. Yeah, uh, and and so uh, the, those kind of considerations definitely are are appropriate. But as far as any specific prohibition, no, no blanket prohibition. But again, if you're going to say, well, you can't get body piercings. Well, then your wife and daughter better not have pierced ears because that's a body piercing. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to be consistent. Yeah. So so there's no blanket condemnation. If you want to get a tattoo that says love, Kyle, I guess. Or you know, mom. Mom. Yeah. <laughs> then maybe, I, you know, maybe you're on your own on that. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Question four. Oh, did we get... Uh, uh, Oh, yeah, we need to get well, to Kent. Kent, yeah. Kent references Leviticus 19, 27 through 28, and 1 Kings 18, 28. He says they're oftentimes cited in opposition to tattoos and body piercings. While there are some eternal principles involving these passages regarding this issue, the case uh, being that we are no longer under the Old Testament, First, or Colossians 2, 14, we appeal to New Testament principles that, that both body piercings and tattoos violate Galatians 2, 20, 
Colossians 3, 1 through 11, 1 John 2, 15, and, uh, and, and all of those would be, be sort of what are we trying to, who are we, who, what are we trying to say? First uh, John two fifteen and seventeen love not the world neither things yeah. that are in the world that sort of thing. Okay. Body piercings and tattoos violate the following New Testament principles: number one, worldliness; number two, influence; number three, modesty; number four, the stewardship of one's health. They can. I, uh, uh, I understand where Kent's coming from there, but would you say that pierced ears uh, manifest worldliness? are a bad influence, are immodest, um, or harmful to one's health. And I don't think so. So I think, I think you could, I, 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 you just, we just have to be careful about overstating our case. I and think, so, I think in general we're saying body piercings and tattoos really don't ha- are not appropriate in, in, in the conduct and action of Christians. But we make exceptions like ear piercing. So you just got to be careful because if you overstate your case, then. Well, and there's some say, there's some generational stuff here as well. You but but you know you see somebody you see a woman out or a man for that matter out a, a man with ear piercings is he trying to make a statement or a woman with you know ten uh, rings on one ear is she, or is she trying to make a statement even with ear piercings you could be trying to make a statement. Yeah. So yeah, Kyle, final thoughts. I think it's about uh, what we're. What message are we trying to send, and where is What's our, your motivation? Yeah, yeah, it's, and yeah. I think it's, we need to abide by already set down New Testament principles. Are we violating nakedness? All, I, I just, I just, we need to keep those in mind before we even think about getting a tattoo or piercing. So, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Here, here, Anthony in the YouTube chat window says, "I have tattoos all over. The front of my neck is tatted. Because I am a Christian, I will not get any more tattoos." Romans twelve one and two would be the New Testament verse I would use. It would be conforming to the world. Okay. Uh, as well as all the vulgarness in the tattoo shops, along with the diseases you can get from them. Okay. Well, thanks, and, Anthony. And he references for, John seven twenty four. Thanks for for chiming in on that, okay. uh, Anthony. Yeah. So all yeah, right. certainly those are things to think about. What what kind of environment do you have to go in to get the tattoo? Uh, and are there health concerns and things like and, that? And he says, would you take Jesus to get his ears pierced or tattooed? Probably not. Okay. All right. Okay. We got to move quick. Let's, thanks, Anthony. Number four. Number four, once saved, always saved. Is eternal security biblical? Can a Christian lose salvation? Well, it's interesting that these, and this isn't, it's, these aren't, who knows who's asking these questions, but people are con- interested in these subjects. It's interesting that, yeah, that these kind of questions come up. Yeah, and people are interested in what the Bible teaches on it, so that's commendable. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to go first to Galatians 5, verse 4. Uh, the context is not about anything that is really pertinent to us today, but it was in the first century. And Paul warned, whosoever you are justified by the law, talking about the law of Moses, ye are fallen from grace. He was writing to Christians. He was writing to people who were in grace. But if they went back and tried to bind the Old Testament, they could fall from grace. Mm-hmm. So a person in grace could fall from grace. Mm-hmm. So that certainly doesn't sound like once saved, always saved. No, it does not. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20, beginning, talks about some false teachers. And it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these people have escaped the pollutions of the world. That sounds like they're in a good spot, doesn't it? Right. Now, they're again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. This person is going to find themselves in a condition that's worse for them than it was in the beginning. Yeah. Their latter end is worse than the beginning. So if that's not uh, once saved, then lost, then what is it? Exactly right. So I think that that would be my favorite go-to passage, actually, Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. And then add in there Galatians 5, verse 4. You put those two together, you got a pretty straightforward answer. All right. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people in the religious world teach once saved, always saved. But you cannot bear that up in the, with the scriptures. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We better get a break. When we get back, we're going to question number six, interracial marriage. What does the Bible say about that? Hey, you know what? The Bible does say something about it. 
You might be surprised what it says. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It has been frequently noted that the scriptures do not authorize any religious observance of the day that men call Christmas. There is simply no mention of any such observance in the Bible, and we know from historical accounts that the significance attached to this day originated hundreds of years after the church began in the first century. We do not even know the birthday of Jesus. In fact, we can be almost certain it was not December 25th. Any attempt to make this a day of special religious significance is without biblical authority and should be avoided. Colossians 3 verse 17. It's sad, but many Christians who would agree with the statements just made are guilty of a sort of reverse observance of Christmas. While condemning those who make Christmas a holy day, which the Bible does not mention, they allow this day and the season which surrounds it to crowd God completely out of their lives. Special activities associated with family and friends, school events, special performances, traveling, entertaining, visiting, partying, and so forth are all conducted at a frantic pace this time of year. Many Christians allow these secular activities to push God out of his place. Matthew 6, verse 33. Assemblies of the church are missed. Bible studies neglected. Personal work and other efforts of the local church are abandoned. Verbally, we denounce the religious observance of Christmas, but in practice, we have established a kind of reverse observance. In December, we become less religious, if you can imagine it. So Christians, as you go through your busy schedule at this time of year, we hope you will stop to realize the things that are most important. Do not allow this man-made day to crowd God and his service out of the picture. Keep working and growing. Keep on keeping on. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program too. Gracias. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, the 10 most common Bible questions asked by people today. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we would encourage you to check us out there. And more importantly, we'd encourage you to come and worship with us anytime. Find out our meeting times and location of meeting at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And coming soon, Kyle, to that website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You're cooking up something a little special there. With our streaming? We're yeah. Streaming. Yeah. So we're going yeah, to be start uh, hopefully in the coming month that we should be getting a streaming on uh, our Sunday services and uh uh, so it should, should be some a newer presentation, I guess. Our, yeah. yeah, be a good opportunity for folks to find out Absolutely. more about our, how our worship services be, are conducted there. Yeah, so you'll uh, see some more stuff about that as yeah, we get Stay tuned going. for that, but we're looking forward to that. All right, thanks for working on that, Kyle. And, Dad, uh, we, as we talk about the ten most qu- commonly asked Bible 20. questions. We're, well, it's we're 20. We're going to cover ten about ten of them tonight, but we're, we're actually looking at the 20 most commonly asked Bible questions at gotquestions.org. Number six. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed, as you said, that, uh, that the questions are being asked, that these kind of questions yeah, are They're, they're high-quality questions. Number now, six. Now, we're going to skip number five. Uh, okay. if, if, if people are paying attention, they may notice we're skipping number five. That's a, a really, very delicate, intimate question Okay. Uh, that really deserves uh, discussion from some trusted counselor, someone you could really trust, but not appropriate for our discussion on the air. Number six. So we're going to go straight to number six. Number six, what does the Bible say about interracial marriage? Um, You said the Bible says something about that. It does say stuff about it, and in the Old Testament it was forbidden. Uh, and when the children of Israel were going into the land of Canaan, they were told not to marry with uh, the, the other people. You're supposed to destroy them. You shall not make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughters for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. They were saying, don't go interracially marrying because they're going to turn your heart away from God. And it worked. It did that, didn't it? I mean, all through the Old Testament. They're uh, condemned for that. I'm watching where you're going with this. Go ahead. Right. It worked. It worked. It worked. It, it did that for Solomon. Yeah. Solomon, th- these these foreign wives that he took, they led his heart away from God. That was again an instruction in the Old Testament. Yeah. Nothing in the and New Testament would have any kind of con- connection to that. Actually, the, those weren't so much different races. Inter that wasn't actually. 
I, I guess if you called the Hebrews their own race, I guess we sort of do talk about the Jews today being a race. Yeah. But but that was more uh, nationalities and and religious and cultural pra- and and, r- religious, yeah, religious and cultural practices. And God didn't the the Israelites were to marry among the Israelites and specifically to keep the pagans from carrying them away into their uh, idolatrous worship. Yep. That's all Old Testament. Yep. Uh, but what I think when people ask this question today, they're asking uh, about not about I don't think the concern is, you know, can a Catholic marry a Lutheran? Uh, although the Catholics actually teach against that, you know, but uh, they're they're more talking about can can a, a white person marry a black person? Could a, a black person marry a, a an Asian person or an Indian? Uh, and so they're okay. more talking about race, and and probably almost exclusively in people's minds because there's some there there has been thankfully it's far diminished. There's been a cultural perception about blacks and whites intermarrying. Yeah, they seem like that's the that's the thing that's, that's a, the main. Offensive. I, and my not... guess would be that that nine out of ten or ninety nine out of a hundred people who asked, "Does the Bible? What does the Bible say about interracial marriage?" They're not talking about a uh, 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 European Caucasian marrying uh, Latin an American Asia, an Asian. They're not talking about that. The, the objection would probably be about a white person marrying a black person. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the scriptures simply do not address that. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, the uh, uh, in, in the New Testament, of course, we're looking for our answers in the New Testament. That's our law for today, and you just—it's just not there. Uh, I tell you what, the Bible does speak about it. It speaks about uh, prejudice, and absolutely, or, or racism, and that sort of thing would be condemned. Absolutely, and uh, and, Kent, uh, and Kent, in his response, alludes to that. Uh, he says the Bible does not address this issue in a direct or explicit statement. However, the logical deduction from biblical teaching is that there is no sin involved with reference to interracial marriage. Acts 17:24 through 28. Uh, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, or to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. They should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Uh, God doesn't see any difference between the races, uh, and uh, and God is not a respecter of persons, and if we're going to be godly, we won't be a respecter of persons either. And so there's your answer on that. Yeah, I think that's right, then. Uh, I, I'm actually very glad that that a lot of those prejudices are wearing down, and yep. uh, that, that's a good thing. It should have happened a long time ago. Right. But uh, uh, again, anybody who would teach that there's a prohibition on that or that it's a sin somehow or another, simply not informed. Make, they're making a, 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 an uninformed statement. Yeah. All right, number seven. Um, who was Cain's wife? That's a pretty common question. That's isn't a it? question. Who did Cain marry? Now, obviously, I think all of our listeners understand Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, Cain killed Abel, but we don't have. We know that uh, Adam had other sons and daughters uh, besides. We know Cain and Abel, and then the next uh, son was Seth. Uh, We know that, but we know that uh, Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters. Uh, um, It uh, it, it says uh, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, Adam lived 130 years, begat a son in his own likeness after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he'd begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So we don't know how many sons and daughters that Adam had. But he had, we know he had more, and we know he had daughters. Now, we know that Cain got married in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. This is after he'd killed his brother Abel. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden, And Cain knew his wife, 
And she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city, and so on it goes. So Cain did marry. So the question, you know, this sometimes sometimes people want to pose this question as sort of a stumper. You know, uh, Cain got, uh-huh. I got you now, who did he marry? Well, I think the easy answer is that he had to have married a relative, and, and a, likely a near relative, uh, perhaps even very likely a sister, another child of Adam. Could have been a niece. Could have been a niece, possibly. But here's an interesting statement to put into this mix. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve, notice, because she was the mother of all living. And so there weren't any, you know, the, the, the presumption that there were other, we know about Adam and Eve, but there were other created men and women back in that same time. They were populating the earth at the same time Adam and Eve were having offspring. And so there were other, no, Eve was the mother of all living. All the living are descendants of Eve. We are descendants of Eve. Uh, and so it, it, the answer has to be that he married a near relative. Now, of course, in our day and time, uh, that's, that, that would be a very bad thing. Uh, in fact, by, by the time the law of Moses was expressed, uh, which was, of course, centuries, uh, well, probably on the order of 3,000 plus years. Let's see. That wouldn't be exactly. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be about right. Uh, hundreds of years had passed uh, since Adam and Eve when the law was given to Moses. And there were prohibitions in the law of Moses about marrying near relatives. Uh, And so, but we understand now because the gene pool has deteriorated. Now, if near relatives marry, there's also a very dangerous probability of... uh, birth defects and so forth, which would not have, there was no prohibition on marrying near relatives under the patriarchal system, and the danger of intermarriage because of genetic complications would have been very, almost non-existent because of the purity of the gene pool. Stephen in Georgia says there are several problems with this oversimplified explanation that leave too many other questions unanswered. The question is too deep for this type of format. The other answer, which I believe to be the correct one, is that there were hominids that existed pre-Adam that are hinted at within the scriptures and for which there is ample archaeological evidence that abounds, as well as oral traditions and mythology, all pointing to this explanation being the correct one. Where your average Bible student fails in their understanding is that we must remember that Adam was the first humanoid being created in the image of God. These other humanids that predated Adam, were not created by God, and were all destroyed before the flood. I think Stephen may have been listening to too much late-night radio. That's crazy. I'm sorry, Stephen, but that's crazy, and that's not biblical. And and i got to tell you, I, I, I wonder whether we should even air that, because that's just, it's, it's, it's blasphemous. Yeah, the, they, they, these were not created the, by God? Beings not created by God? Uh, that 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 Cain married a non-human type, and you're going to uh, oral traditions and mythology to prove your point. Crazy. That's just out of bounds. That's out of bounds. I'm sorry, but that's completely out All of right. bounds. Okay. Number eight. Number eight. Well, Kent says we do not know specifically. However, his wife of necess- would of necessity have been one of his. Relatives. Yeah, and I don't see how you get around Genesis 3:20. Eve was the mother of all the living. Yeah. Uh, so he. Uh, and there weren't a lot of generations that would have allowed him to. I mean, it had to be a sister or a niece. Uh, maybe you could stretch great niece into that. But I mean, he's marrying a, a fairly close relative. All right. Okay. Number All right. Eight. Number eight. What is the Christian's view of suicide? What does the Bible say about suicide? What about a believer who commits suicide? Good questions. You know, I was thinking today, I, I'm not sure we've ever dealt with that on the virtual Bible study. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realize I'm not that. sure about that. Uh, I dug out some old notes I had on suicide, and there are actually several Bible examples. How are we doing on time? We're doing, we, do we need okay. to grab a break? No, go. Uh, several Bible examples of suicide. Yeah, we do need it. Well, go ahead. We'll just go. Let me real quick run through this list, and then we'll comment some more when we get back. 
Abimelech, who was a bloody son of Gideon, who killed 70 of his brothers. He was wounded by a woman at the city of Thebes, and he had his armor bearer kill him so it wouldn't be said he was killed by a woman. She Mm -hmm. dropped a millstone on his head, if you remember. Oh, that's right. Samson, of course, committed suicide in the Philistine temple, but he was there because of his indiscretions with a Philistine woman. King Saul, of course, who had rebelled against God, he was wounded in a battle with Philistines, and he had his own armor bearer kill him to prevent the Philistines from capturing him and tor- uh, torturing him. And the and then the armor bearer killed not only killed Saul, but ended up killing himself. Ahithophel, who was a confidant of Absalom, when Absalom led a rebellion against King David, uh, he fell out of favor with Absalom. He committed suicide. Zimri was an army captain who led a coup against King Elah of of, uh, Israel. Uh, He uh, usurped the throne, but he only reigned for seven days. The people rebelled against him, besieged him in the king's house, and he burned it down on himself. Zimri committed suicide. And, of course, maybe the most famous suicide is of Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Jesus. Yeah. All right. So, so the Bible does have, but it's interesting. I think I've got, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I, I, that's about the best I could come up with. Seven examples of suicide in the in the Bible, and every one of them speaks of a person who was not right in in their life and action. They con, their conduct had got them in a bad place that led them to commit suicide. All right, so when we get back, was it sanctioned by God? What is God's thoughts on suicide? You know, you mentioned Samson. My question about Samson is he asked God for the strength to knock those pillars down. Was God consenting to suicide there? What do you think about that? We'll get some more discussion on this and on the other side. And then we get to question number nine, do pets... Or animals go to heaven. Wow. I sure hope not, because i got a dog that would really make that tough. We're gonna... I don't want your dog in heaven. No, but nobody does. All right, we're These get a break. guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, and Bible class teachers and all church members had strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you can always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible. And we're still doing the same things you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See it for yourself. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Shoppers around the country say they are planning to spend an average of $992 for gifts this holiday season. That's up from $983 last year, according to a recent survey on holiday spending. Average planned spending peaked in 2001 at $1,052. That information is via the American Research Group. The Word of God says in Luke 12, verse 15, Take heed and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program, going to the top of the hour, looking at the ten most commonly asked Bible questions. You you posed so, uh, uh, several examples in the Bible of people who did commit suicide. And, and you could kind of s- summarize th- th- that all of them were in bad circumstance, no hope kind of situations. They were suffering bad consequences of evil deeds. Uh, they were anxious about worldly matters, all wrong reasons, all things that shouldn't be characteristic of one who's in a right relationship with God. Uh, I don't know. I never heard anyone suggest that uh, Samson was a justified or approved suicide. Uh, God did strengthen him to pull down the, the pillars of the temple, but that was sort of in judgment against the Philistines, uh, an act of judgment against the, the Philistines. It was sort of collateral damage, maybe. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Wasn't, it wasn't the, the suicide wasn't necessarily the goal. I want to kill myself, and it, but he, his, I guess his goal was to punish the Philistines. Yeah, and God used people to punish. Uh, he, he used Israelites. Israelites died in battle, uh, fighting wars that god assigned to them as punishment against other nations 
Okay. Uh, I think suicide, some people have said suicide is self-murder. Romans 13, verse 9, condemns uh, all murder. And if suicide could be classed self-murder, then Romans 13, 9 says commit no murder. Uh, the answer to all, uh, in, in the answer to any situation where a person would be thinking of suicide, is the answers in the Word of God and coming to a right relationship with Him. And the Philippian jailer is an interesting case in Acts 16. We won't read that, but he, there was a guy on the brink of committing suicide, and he was and he was brought back from the edge by Paul and Silas, who taught him the gospel. And and, and he in ju- within just a few verses, he went from ready to commit suicide to rejoicing. And what happened in between is he learned about the Lord Jesus Christ and obeyed the gospel. Uh, Kent in Georgia says suicide would be classified as self-murder as to the eternal fate of one who has committed suicide. If they are accountable, knowing what they are doing in the commission of such, they would obviously die in sin. If they're not accountable for this specific act, God will righteously judge them for the period of life that they were accountable. I am content to leave the matter with God, the judge of all the earth, who will do right. Appreciate those comments. I, I really like that last part that Kent mentions. Uh, you know, so uh, the, the last part of this question, what about a believer who commits suicide? Well, we don't know because we don't know if they were accountable for that act or not. Just like Kent said, and we just leave that in the hands of God. There's nothing we can say or do that would change yeah. anything about their outcome. Yeah. And and they'll they'll stand before a just God. If they were accountable... They'll be held accountable. If they were not accountable, God knows that. We'll just leave that with him. Certainly some folks who have committed suicide were so deranged and mentally ill that you'd say they weren't accountable, but God will be the judge of, of all of that. All right. Now we're going to get one where we're probably going to uh, yeah, we cross some, some people folks up. Mad. Do pets and animals go to heaven? Do pets and animals have souls? You know, of all the questions we've had tonight, and there have been some controversial ones, this may be the one that gets people the maddest here. I wonder. But uh, I'd take the second part of that question first. Do pets and animals have souls? No, they do not. Uh, In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God had created man and woman, uh, uh, Genesis 1, 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and so on it goes. Only man, only humans have eternal souls. That's what that's the sense in which we are in the likeness of God. We're not we're not like God because God has five fingers on two hands. Uh although the, the you know, you can read figurative or symbolic expressions about the hand of God or the finger of God. We're not made in the image of God in that our physical form is like his form. God's a spirit. He didn't have a physical form. Mm-hmm. And so we're not in his image in the sense that we look like him. Right. We're in his image in the sense that we have an eternal soul and no other thing in God's creation does. All right. Uh, so, no, animals and pets and animals do not have souls. I would argue that goes to the to the other part of the question. Will they go to heaven? No, they don't have an eternal soul. They don't have a part of them that could go to heaven. Uh, they have a physical body, but they don't. Uh, we have a physical body. They have a physical body. But we have an eternal soul, and they do not. And that being the case, no, pets and animals will not go to heaven. All right. Kyle? Oh, yeah, it goes down to, you know, it's the marriage for entering into, you know, a place of comfort to heaven. It's, they don't, they don't know the difference between sinning and not sinning. They're, they live by instinct and this, that that basis alone right there, but they don't have souls. Period. So they do not enter heaven. So. Okay. Uh, I don't think they go to hell either. So that's. I don't that's, either. Exactly. That's <laughs> a good yeah. point. Good point. The, the, a passage that's often misused about this, uh, I don't think addresses it at all, is the Ecclesiastes chapter three, uh, verse nineteen. Uh, that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beast. Even one thing befalleth them, as one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they are all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are of the dust, all turn to the dust again. And then the, the verse that people will pluck out wrongly, Who knoweth the spirit of a man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Well, that's not saying that that's what's happened. That's Solomon asking a question. And Solomon was trying to search out the meaning of life. And he was saying, 
I, uh, men die just like animals die. Who knows? Who knows where man goes, where an animal goes? And so it's not a definitive statement of truth. It's Solomon questioning things in his mind as he was trying to seek for truth. So First, you can't use Ecclesiastes 3.21 to answer that question at all. First Peter 3.21 is suggested by guest 72.37 in the chat room. 72.37 says, if you go to First Peter 3.21, it states that Noah... With Noah, that only eight souls were saved. Good point. Confirmation that only eight humans, not animals, were saved. Good point. There were animals saved, but only eight souls were saved on the ark. Okay. Oh, that's an interesting point. Thank you for that point. Um, Kent says, now this is, Kent makes an interesting point. Listen to this. No, pets are wonderful friends in life. However, they are not human and do not have human souls, as does mankind. At death, they simply cease to exist and will neither be punished nor rewarded. Now, notice this. They are certainly better off than those who die in an unsaved condition among humans. Oh, good point. Thank you, Kent, for that. All right. We're just about out of time. We got, we're going to have to hurry to answer number 10. Question number 10, what happens after death? We've done whole programs on that in the Virtual Bible Study. We've talked about a lot of these themes on various programs in the Virtual Bible Study. And you, you can go back and research our archives and find those. But I would offer as an explanation, I think, the best picture of what's beyond the grave is in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, two men died. They went to Hades. So what happens after death is you go to Hades. Everybody goes to Hades. Jesus went to Hades when he died on the cross. In Hades, there are two realms. There's a place of comfort. Uh, Luke 16 calls it Abraham's bosom. Jesus referred to it as paradise. Jesus went to paradise. He told the thief on the cross, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus was in Hades. Hades is the, is the realm of departed spirits. The biblical definition of death is when the spirit departs the body, you die. And, and so your body is left here to decay and go back to the dust of the earth. But your spirit goes to Hades, mm-hmm. uh, either to a place of comfort if you've been a righteous individual or a place of torment, like the rich man went to a place of torment. Uh, where he was tormented in flames. Uh, and so you're going to be in one of those two destinations in the Hadean realm. At the at the resurrection, at, at when the Lord returns, uh, John chapter 5, verse 28, 29 says, The hour is coming, and that all that are in the grave shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So all will be called back from Hades in the general resurrection that will occur when the Lord returns. And at that time, there'll be a final assignment to heaven or hell. But, but that's what happens after death. After death, when you die, if you die before the Lord returns, you will go to Hades. Some people, the King James Version is really bad and causes people to have an impression that all everything about Hades is bad. Paradise or Abraham's bosom in Hades is a is a wonderful place, a place of comfort for those who've died in the Lord. Kent says references Ecclesiastes chapter twelve verse seven, then the dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. He also references James two twenty six, whereas the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The body and the soul and spirit are separated. The body goes into the tomb or grave or in some manner faces decomposition, but the soul or spirit of one returns into the keeping of God to await the final judgment. This inter- intermediate state of death is a conscious condition of either paradise and peace or else either torment. Yeah, in, and that would be in Hades. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. Thank you for that, Kent. Okay. We made it. Yeah, we made it through 10. We've got 10 to go, and Lord willing, uh, we will continue that study Next week, we'll pick up questions 11 through 20. Lots of good questions. What about tithing? Uh, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Are there dinosaurs in the Bible? Uh, what about drinking alcohol? What about gambling? Uh, what about sex before marriage? And we talked about one tonight. Where was Jesus for the three days between his death and resurrection? Lots of good questions. And so we hope that you'll be making plans to join. If you haven't sent in your comments on those questions, you've got a week now to do it. So start with 11 and go through 20. All right. Good discussion tonight. Kyle, final thoughts from you. No, it's a good discussion. I think it's just a really... It's good questions. I hope anybody they, else who's listening has some more questions. They, they weren't off the wall. They were good questions no, and good. sincere questions. And people are doing what we think we need to be doing on this program, Kyle. That's what, is the scripture, what do the scriptures teach about these things? That's Not right. what, what does some man think? What does some 
creed teach? What does some uh, profession of faith teach? No, what, the, what does the Bible teach about that? And so that's what we're committed to on the program. And so a good discussion tonight. Dad? I think it's good, and we'll look forward to those other questions next week. All right. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word tonight. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.